I think this past week, and it, it, it's all, it is impossible, I think, uh, as somebody who shares God's word on a Sunday, in a situation like we are in right now from a global point of view with what's going on in Ukraine, I think it is impossible to get up without being significantly shaped by the events of the past week and speaking into the events of the past week. And it seems to me that the, the significance of the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical in what we see in this past week, which might seem surprising, but I believe it is. What have we witnessed in the past few days? A man who, in human terms, does not need anything and yet decides to invade a neighboring country. It seems to me as though written into that pattern of behavior, written into that event is at the core of our fallen human nature. And it's something like this. I know that my life is short, and for Putin, his days are numbered, and his life is short, certainly shorter than many of us here in this room today, we expect. And I want to be remembered. I've got everything, I've seen everything, I've done everything, but I want to be remembered. I want to be recognized beyond the grave. I want to achieve something, to maybe to resurrect the glory of the USSR. And that is right at the, the core of our human being, our nature, who we are as people. I want to be remembered. I don't want my life to be insignificant, meaningless, forgotten in an instant. There's a, a, a really powerful story in the Bible in the Old Testament, one of the great kings, in fact, the Old Testament king David is, if you like, he's a picture of the coming Jesus. David's son Absalom wants to be remembered after his, birth, after his death. And it says in 2 Samuel 18, it says this, During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on my memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. Fascinating thing, in the Kidron Valley, which is a valley straight outside of Jerusalem, drops down on the other side, it's Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives. You've got this, this huge valley just right outside of Jerusalem. It's the Kidron Valley, it's the Valley of the Kings, it's where, it's where all of the great kings of Israel have been buried. And there is a monument, it's, a, it's one of the, the most dramatic and visible graves in the Kidron Valley. It's still described as Absalom's pillar. <laughs> now, archaeologically, it is almost guaranteed that it's not the original one. But isn't it fascinating? Absalom, it seems, has achieved something. He's created a name for himself. He is remembered. 
But I think written into every one of us is something of that. We want to be remembered. We want to not be forgotten, whether it's our children, whether it's our grandchildren, whether it's our nephews, our nieces, whether it's our peers or their children, our colleagues, or whatever it might be. There is something in us that says deeply inside of us, I don't want to be forgotten. Now I want to ask a fundamental question this afternoon. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to want to be remembered? I think that's a really important question. And it is written into the story of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So let's take a journey on how that works. We've got two parallel texts. And they've been chosen very deliberately. The first is the account of Jesus being baptized. Because it's the first occasion in the New Testament, in the story of the life of Jesus, where we see a dramatic moment in the journey of God's communication to the world. Here's a thing that might be helpful if you're trying to get a grip on the Bible. The Bible is the way in which God communicates to the world himself. That's why it's called a book of Revelation. It's a revealing book. It reveals God to us. Right the way through the Old Testament, we've got this journey of God becoming increasingly visible. And then we come into the New Testament and we have Jesus born. All The Gospels start, with the exception of um, Mark and John, he tries to remember quickly. With the exception of Mark and John, we, we start with the birth of Jesus. And then we come to the moment uh, where we have Jesus' ministry starting. It's that moment where he moves from being recognized early on as a miraculous, incredible, God-present-in-the-world moment to the point where his ministry begins, and it begins with him being baptized by John in the River Jordan. And at that moment, we have an incredible insight into the nature of God. We see in verse, um, verse 32... We see John speaking about this event, and he says this. That has just gone on, hasn't it? I thought something was going with my laptop. I thought, well, this could be interesting. Uh, right, it says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Here's this moment. God speaks. Many hear his voice, but Jesus, as he comes out of the water of baptism, there is a moment where we see the nature of God for the first time revealed to us. We see the Spirit descending on Jesus, and it's as though he's being anointed. And in a sense, he is. He's being anointed for the journey of his ministry. Now, here's, here's an incredible thing. I think it's really amazing to think about this, that Jesus required the indwelling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit for his ministry. He needed that. In fact, as we see various verses unfold uh, in front of us over this next period of time, we see the nature of Jesus' ministry is absolutely rooted in the relationship between Jesus, his Father, and the Holy Spirit. He is empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Three years later, Jesus is 
crucified, he dies, he's buried, he rises again, he ascends into heaven, and we now have this next moment of the unfolding of the Holy Spirit. And we see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 1 says that Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place. The disciple, uh, the followers of Jesus, terrified, fearful, but beginning to speak out. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See the parallel of that. Here we have this moment where Jesus, obscure, unknown, we know nothing really of Jesus from the day that he is born to being 12 years old in the temple to about 30 years old. That is all that we know of Jesus. Moment of birth, 12 years old, And now his ministry unfolds. And it is the Holy Spirit which is the moment. And now we have this next step in the unfolding of Jesus. The work of Jesus in the world in his absence. How does Jesus work in the world when he is absent? He works in the world in his absence in the same way as he worked in the world in his presence by the anointing of the Holy Spirit on those who become his representatives in the world, his people who speak into the world, who display, who show God in the world. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that mind-blowing? That the presence that Jesus required for his ministry is given, is given, to those who trust and believe and witness him in the world. The same Holy Spirit is given to them. From this moment on, the presence of God in the world is marked by those who bear the same Spirit. And it is a global phenomenon that continues. And it is incredibly powerful because the weak, empowered by the Holy Spirit, suddenly and remarkably become strong. I don't know whether you saw it. It's been tripping around social media. Given social media, I don't know whether it was actually true or not. It doesn't matter in a way. But a Ukrainian family singing together in their home supposedly in the past week, he will hold me fast. Blew me away. It's one of the most powerful things that I've seen in I don't know how long. Terrified, and yet the power of the Holy Spirit in that family enables them together to sing in that crisis, he will hold me fast. Now, here's the thing. You, you might say, well, you know, actually, it might appear that that particular clip was from three years ago. It doesn't matter because there will be families in the Ukraine today who are singing, he will hold me fast because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us today? The first thing it means is that we belong. That's the first thing that we're going to see, we belong. John chapter 7 and verse 37 to 39 says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Isn't that incredible? Jesus says, come to me. There's there's such an appeal to Jesus. Jesus, the focal point of our faith. When he says, come to me, there is such a sense of belonging when he says to you and to me, come to me. And he says, if you're thirsty, I mean spiritually, desperately thirsty. When you know deep inside, maybe you're here this afternoon, and you're listening to what's going on in the world, but you're also engaging with this message from the Bible, at the very core of it, Jesus says this, I know that you know that there is something more and you are thirsty for that something. He says, I know that you spiritually deep inside are gasping for a drink. And he says, come to me and I will quench that thirst. I will satisfy that need. But the thing that he says here is for those who do come, they will then become the ones who that same satisfying living water will flow out of. That's what it says there. It says that the Spirit, which is in that, in that present Jesus, which flows out, is the same Spirit that flows out through those who believe to those who come to believe. It's the flow of the Spirit of God through those who believe to those who come to believe. And those who come to believe become those who the Spirit of God flows out of so that those who hear might believe. The incredible thing is, Jesus says, come to me, you who are thirsty. Three chapters earlier, he said exactly the same to a Samaritan woman at a well. A woman for all sorts of life circumstances, probably abused, probably rejected, at the lowest ebb of human experience, coming to the well alone, That's really significant. Going to the well was a communal activity. And this woman, for various reasons, was shunned by her fellow women. At the lowest of human experience, and Jesus says, I know you are desperate to be satisfied deep inside. And I can give you living waters that you will never need to come back and draw from this well, he says. What's he saying? Well, you'll never need to come back and get water from the well. Well, if if the well is the water that she takes back to the home, of course she'll have to come back. But if the well is Jesus, 
And she comes to Jesus. She'll never have to keep coming back to him in one sense because the Holy Spirit will dwell within within her and she will always be at the well. Isn't that beautiful? And then Jesus says, you can belong by that same Holy Spirit. We belong because of that unbroken flow. You thought of that? For those of us who believe this afternoon, we believe because on the day of Pentecost, the flow of the Holy Spirit poured out from those who were hiding away so that they became empowered to speak and the Holy Spirit flowed through them to those who believe. And that flow is unbroken to us today. How did you come to faith? How did I come to faith? Because along that journey, there's been nudges, there's been prods, there's been individuals in our lives. There's maybe afternoons like this afternoon where we hear something and we hear a a powerful, clear picture that Jesus is who he is. And that unbroken flow of the Holy Spirit has continued right to us today. Unbroken. We are absolutely connected to that moment in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit flows out. And the message of Jesus goes, as the whole of the story of Acts is centered around this, it goes from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's that's what is right at the beginning of Acts chapter chapter 1. That's the purpose of Acts. Acts concludes in Rome which was kind of the center of the world then. So it's kind of reversed. It starts in Jerusalem, which was distant from Rome, and it ends up in Rome at the center. So from the ends of the earth to the center of the earth, as was understood. And now we find that that same Holy Spirit is pouring out a globally unbroken world which never knew Jesus. Some of the Far Eastern countries, Sub-Saharan Africa, parts of South America are exploding, contrary to all human expectations, with faith in Jesus because of that same Holy Spirit that has just unbroken flowed from those first believers who spoke in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. That's what it is to belong. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is for us to sustain. For us to sustain. Luke chapter 4 and verse 4. This is just after Jesus has been baptized. And Jesus, listen to the way uh, Luke describes Jesus in this text. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He is now, in Luke's mind, full of the Spirit in a way which is uniquely different from pre-baptism. Not that he wasn't in relationship with his father, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit has now moved him to another stage in his ministry here in the world. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil. 
See, I, yeah, I, can't, I can't find the right words to describe the significance of that. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and to endure hardship. Let me be really clear about what Christian faith is. It is not an inoculation or a bubble against pain and suffering and hardship and difficulty. It is not that. And if we portray Christian faith in that way, we kind of describe something that will let people down. Because when we get the other side of the moment where we say we believe, and then it becomes difficult on the other side, and we've kind of portrayed this faith in Jesus as though it's something filled with hope, and on the other side, it's all going to be cute and lovely, and life's going to be great, and then it isn't, what does that say about the faith that we've described? But Jesus ends up in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he is tempted, and he endures suffering. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and 37. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the confidence that we have. We will be sustained by the love of God. How do we know the love of God? By the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that fills us with confidence that against all of our expectations, against all of our beliefs, we will be sustained. I want to ask, what are you going through right now? What do you fear? What do you know is going to happen over the next week, month, or year in your life? What do you not know is going to happen over the next week, month, or year in your life? Matteo, so encouragingly, takes us back to the Old Testament at the beginning of our afternoon this afternoon, where God says, I'm going to sustain you. And now we get into the New Testament and God says, I'm going to sustain you. You will get through this. Do not fear. I am with you. I will never leave you. Are you thinking of faith? Are you fearful of committing because you don't believe that you'll keep it up? That is a great place to be. Because you will never keep it up by yourself. But the promise here and the sustaining power of the promise of the gospel is this. That the Holy Spirit will secure you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Because the love that he pours out to you, that you know because of the Holy Spirit, is the love that will sustain you no matter what. And you say, well, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec, Paul. That sounds great, but here's the thing. There will be many who will be singing songs of hope in Jesus 
and they will not live the next month. And that looks like the faith and the hope that they had has been worthless. How do we know that faith in Jesus is worth more than just being sustained? The final step in our journey this afternoon is that we know hope in the Spirit because it is the power to triumph. The power to triumph. How did Jesus rise from the dead? How did Jesus rise from the dead? 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, there's some debate over whether the spirit is the spirit, or the, but I believe that it is, in the deepest sense, the power of the spirit. Why? And how is it connected to holiness? Why, why did Jesus rise again? And it's this. I don't know whether you've ever thought of this. It was impossible for Jesus not to rise. It was impossible for Jesus not to rise. We all say, how was it impossible for Jesus to rise? But the reality, it was impossible for him not to rise. Why? Because death had no claim on Jesus. Death had no claim on Jesus. Death takes us all, and it seems as though death wins. But Jesus shows us that death had no claim on him. It might have looked for three days as though it had triumphed. But he was victorious. He triumphed. Because the greatest fear that we all have, he has triumphed over. It had no claim on him. It couldn't ultimately hold him. Death, where's your sting? Where is your sting, death? You have no sting anymore. The sting has gone because Jesus rose from the dead. And here's the reason why we have hope and why we will triumph. Because that same Holy Spirit that dwelt in Jesus dwells in us. Listen to these beautiful verses in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, if you want to be encouraged in terms of how Jesus thinks of you, read John chapter 17. It's the most beautiful prayer that Jesus makes for those who will believe. And it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. Father the hour has come. Glorify your son. That the son may glorify you. Isn't that incredible. Jesus says I'm going to die. So now glorify me in this death. Over these next three days. Glorify me. Because in glorifying me, I will glorify you. This 
focal point of the, all of human history. Three days in human history where the world changed. Where Jesus is taken and all that he prays for comes true. He prays that he will be glorified and he's ripped to bits. He's shredded. He's crushed. He's thrown into a tomb and he rises. And in that interaction of life and death and life again, his Father is glorified as the Father glorifies the Son. And now Jesus says in a few verses later in verse 9 of chapter 17, he says this, I am praying for them. Who's them? I am not praying for the, praying for the world, but for those whom you have given. For those who believe. For they're yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus glorifies the Father <laughs> against all logic in human perspective. We glorify Jesus. How do we glorify Jesus? How? Because I look at my life and I think I really, really don't glorify Jesus. And I think every believer, if we look deep into our hearts, we say, I really don't glorify Jesus. I'll tell you how we glorify Jesus. Because one day we will rise and the whole of creation will see people who should not live, living. We will see people who should not be glorious and righteous and holy who actually are glorious and righteous and holy. Why? As Paul says, we're kind of two people here in this world if we believe in Jesus. We're a mess. We're a rebellious mess who can't get rid of this nature of sin in one sense, but written down deep into us by the power of the Holy Spirit is a new us, which is righteous and holy and eternal and secure and belongs and will be sustained and will triumph. That's, that, is, that is the real power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus prays, I'm going to glorify you, Father. Glorify me and I'm going to pray that those who believe in me will glorify me as well. Why does Jesus pray that? Because he knows that it will come true. Because he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And he says, those who believe in me are in me and I am in them. Do you feel as if Jesus is in you? How can Jesus, the risen king of all creation, be in us? Because the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus when he was baptized. And because when some guys who were in Jerusalem started to speak out the power of God into this world, that spirit flows unbroken to everybody who believes. And this is the lasting legacy. This is what will outlive. This is what will take us from being nothing to being something. So that when we die, we will not be forgotten, but we will be eternal. That is the power of the Holy Spirit for those who believe. And here's the thing. A tiny, insignificant, 
irrelevant in human terms, little voice in West Yorkshire says this, Vladimir Putin, one day you will be crushed. You will be crushed if you do not repent. How will you be crushed? Because the lion of the tribe of Judah will overwhelm you. Overwhelm you. He will become the warrior of the tribe of Judah. He will be the great lion. How does that work? How do we say... How do we say that Jesus becomes that power because there will be one day where his brokenness and an empty cross and a glorious Jesus will be displayed to every sociopathic leader in all of human history and the glory and power and righteousness and holiness of Jesus will crush Every one of them. Overwhelm every one of them. Will be greater than any military arms. That's how powerful gloriness, glory and righteousness and holiness is. And do you know what? For those who, will be, who believe, we'll be part of that victory. We will be part of that victory. And there will be an inheritance. There will be a legacy. So right at the beginning we asked, is it wrong to want to, to create a mark? To not be forgotten? Ultimately, I don't think it is. It isn't. It's right that we want to create that mark. But we go about wanting to create the mark in all the wrong ways. And the way that we really create the mark is by faith in Jesus. Because that is what is ultimately going to prove to be eternal. 